0: I'm Amy
1: Smith. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in some really dark places. And today we're going to continue to shine that light into the dark and twisted world of human trafficking. And today's discussion will lead us down a path where we discuss a pedophile sex trafficker named John Norman. Now listen, just like last week, we want to give our listeners fair warning. That this is a difficult
0: topic, so listener discretion is advised. Before we dive in, I want to mention that Ladonna and I came across the name John D. Norman after watching the documentary "The Clown and the Candy Man." So buckle up, listeners. The story we're about to share is a difficult tale of trafficking, sex abuse, and murder. The story begins in Dallas, Texas, in 1973 when law enforcement discovered a sex ring that involved underage males. The name of the organization responsible for these crimes was called the Odyssey Foundation and their fearless leader, John D. Norman. So when law
1: enforcement were looking into the Odyssey Foundation, they discovered this treasure trove of horrors. They found pamphlets that contained information on dozens of young men, They found child sex abuse materials. And they found information on young boys and clients of the Odyssey Foundation. And believe it or not, the evidence that was seized during that investigation was enough to fill an entire pickup truck. That's insane. I know. Can you imagine
0: uncovering that amount of evidence? Wow. And while that amount of evidence is horrific... What's even more terrifying was how the Odyssey Foundation trafficking ring actually worked. So men would pay the Odyssey Foundation a small fee to receive catalogs that contained information on fellows. This was their code for underage male sex slaves that could be purchased. Members of the Odyssey Foundation would supply their customers And these men were mainly residing in L.A. and Chicago at this point. They would supply them with young men that they had lured into their trafficking ring by cruising around bus stops, searching for runaways, or by simply just kidnapping them off the streets. And while investigators believed that the ring was mostly contained to L.A. and Chicago, just a few short years later, they would discover just how wrong they were. In 1977, two child pornographers were arrested in Illinois. This arrest led authorities down such a rabbit hole of child sex trafficking. It stretched all across the United States and beyond. This discovery eventually led them to what was known as the Delta Project, a division of the sex trafficking pedophile ring that was ran by none other than John D. Norman. When they raided the home of John Norman, they discovered the unthinkable. They found almost 100,000 index cards containing information on victims and the pedophiles that bought or sold these children. 100,000 index cards. He created his own little sex trafficking database. Yeah. Back when that's all you could do is do the index Rolodex cards. I mean, 100,000 index cards. That would take up a room. That's a lot of cards. It is. It's really actually terrifying. So
1: when you think about how terrifying that is, I want to know, and I wanted to know a little bit more about the man behind it. So I did some research into John Norman, discovered he was born October 13th, 1927, and he was considered to be a violent sexual predator by the state of California. That was the label they had given him. I know. So they knew that this guy was bad news. Right. His psychiatrist had this to say about Norman. John is an unrepentant adult male sex offender who, in my opinion, will go to his grave without any remorse for what he has done. Oh, wow. That says a lot. This is coming from his psychiatrist. Yeah. He's not locked behind bars at that moment. And I found several articles about Norman. And in one, it was the New York Times. They're talking about Norman's predatory behavior. It first started in 1954, according to this article, and that in 1956, he was finally in trouble in Dallas for sexual assault. He then had convictions in California in 1963 for other assaults. And then in 1971, he got in trouble for sending obscene literature through the mail, which that was a federal charge. Wow. You know, he just kept offending. And he was also committed to a state hospital. It was weird what it was called. It was called the California Department of Mental Hygiene, as a sex offender. Well, I mean, the lovely 70s. Yeah, right. They didn't know what to call it, so. And in August of 1973, Texas authorities ended up seizing mountains of evidence after they raided Norman's apartment. And as the heat turned up in Texas, guess what Norman did? He fled to Illinois. And when he fled, it is believed that he was using the name Stephen Gerwell. And it was there in the Cook County Jail in Illinois that Norman met an accomplice. And this guy was named Philip Paskey. And this is important, so stay with me, guys. When police busted the child sex trafficking ring that Norman was leading, they discovered that prominent men from across the United States were involved. There were dentists, there were teachers, politicians, priests, and other well-established businessmen, and they were sexually abusing these young men and boys all across the United States. Norman had become quite chummy with this Paskey guy because they had been in jail together, and Paskey was helping him accomplish all of this. So despite Norman's involvement in organizing this sex trafficking ring, And all of the bad things that he had done and that people knew that he was violent and sexually dangerous, he only served four years in jail on a sodomy charge. Four years. And this is one of the things that will make you very upset in this case, because one of the main witnesses in the case that was against him, which, you know, had they been able to talk to a judge you know testify in court he he would have served more time but this main witness was brutally murdered he was stabbed to death of course he was and that kept norman from being convicted on charges that would have you know potentially kept him incarcerated for the rest of his life if you go back and watch the documentary that we cited in the beginning of the episode you'll learn a little bit more about that and how law enforcement were Never really able to prove that Norman was behind that murder, but they were very suspicious.
0: Yeah, I would be too, because that turned a life sentence into four years. The man he met in jail, the Philip Paskey, he was no saint either. Um, He was known for being a violent criminal and he was accused of multiple thefts and murders. The most notable Murders were three young boys murdered in 1977. And one of the boys was actually set to testify against Norman in the child sex trafficking ring. Later, it was also discovered that Paskey helped Norman facilitate newsletters across the United States to prominent pedophiles who were interested in buying young men for sexual purposes. So these two men should have never ever become besties. Disgusting, the things that they did together.
1: So in a 1977 congressional hearing on child exploitation, Senator Culliver described how Norman was planning to grow his child sex trafficking ring to the next level. So I'm going to quote what I found in my research on this. Would you describe this project and how it works? And here's what the senator said. He, meaning Norman, sends out material and receives material from other agencies similar to his, which invites men to, well, you know, a program, and one is called the Dawn Program. In this program, he invites anyone who is willing to have a cadet, which is a young boy between the ages of 13 and 19, they're willing to have him in his house. They invite them to live in the house. And he will take several cadets to live with him in his house so that's what a don will do that's the description he should take one to three cadets according to this agency this don program and that they these men that are ages 13 to 19 would live with them and he which would be the don which was another word for pedophile would pay a fee of 50 dollars a month amy for having these cadets live in his house wow so the cadets would live with him, and they would serve him sexually. But then they would also serve anyone that was a member of the Delta Project, which is this vast network of men. And he would contact those dons, and he would invite them for a weekend. And these people would in turn pay him for letting him use his quote-unquote facilities, his house, and the youth in his house and then john norman would get a percentage of this back that's like a pyramid scheme from hell yeah it's a pyramid trafficking scheme Uh. so norman the mastermind behind all this he ended up having this ring go international and it went by different names it went by the delta project the norman foundation the odyssey foundation It also went by Epic International. But the purpose of the ring was always the same despite the name change. Basically, Norman was providing clients with young boys. And he did it through a network of pamphlets and catalogs and sharing information with prospective customers
0: all over the world. And I found in the New York Times, they had reported that during 1973 raid in Texas, um, this is a co- quote, the detectives raided the second floor apartment at 3716 Cole Avenue and seized files, pornographic literature, a camera, photo engraving equipment, stationery, an electric typewriter, and hundreds of booklets with names and addresses. The confiscated material filled a pickup truck. But you know what? Most of that evidence was tossed out by the State Department of Texas. Can you say cover up? So what about the
1: 100,000 index cards that contained all those names of men and customers and boys that had been abused that had been confiscated when they did the raid in
0: Illinois? Yeah, they're gone. Poof. Can't find them. In fact, in episode two of that documentary, The Clown and the Candyman, a retired detective touches on this very subject, but I also found other documentation where a request was made to inspect those index cards, and you know what their response was? There are no records that match your request. So 100,000 cards just disappeared. I mean, it's not like two or three. A hundred thousand three by five cards (laughs) just disappeared. You know, and those cards supposedly included names of prominent politicians in Washington. Coincidence? I don't think so. Because that evidence just conveniently disappeared. Really awful. And it does scream cover up. I mean,
1: obviously, they didn't want the names of these prominent men to be outed in the
0: community. Oh, no. I mean, and they had a high enough pool that they could uh, get all that evidence just to magically disappear. Wow, that's awful. Yeah. And, you know, just going back to that um, evidence that was uncovered at that home at 3716 Cole Avenue. I mean, this is when the reality of the story really exploded. I mean, think about the things that they found. You know, they found all those files and pornographic literature, a camera, gosh, I wonder what they were using that for. You know, they had a typewriter, booklets, names, and addresses of people. The literature and stationery that they used, guess what it had on it? It bore the name Epic International, and it gave the address, apartment number, and a telephone number. So this ring spent hundreds and hundreds of hours procuring teenaged boys and young men. They were publishing their names, publishing their pictures with their physical description, their age, their interests in this booklet. And if you remember, the teenagers and young men were called fellows. But the men that bought and sold these boys, they had their own nicknames. They were referred to as sponsors. The sponsors were invited to fill out forms listing how long they wanted to have a fellow in their home. And the fellows were then flown all over the country, staying with these sponsors who then paid their airfare to the next city. So these young men who were being trafficked were paid for their expenses, and they were also given you know, some pocket money. The boys usually stayed from one to three days with one sponsor before flying to another city to meet another sponsor. When I read the sponsor, that just that just made my stomach fall because you know you always have, you know, kids going somewhere and they'll stay with a sponsor home. Well, the I mean, you know, you'll do an an athletic event and for the summer you'll go stay with a sponsor that will give you the room and board and i read that and i thought oh heavens i would never allow a child to do that ever ever no it just makes me sick to my
1: stomach to know that they had this sophisticated trafficking ring
0: going on even prior to the internet oh yeah and they had it down i mean All these codes and you know it was very sophisticated
1: wow well norman who
0: was the mastermind of all of this
1: he he literally spent the rest of his life as a dangerous predator in 1978 he was arrested again in chicago for having sex with two underage boys from a local foster home and he was taking pornographic pictures of both of them and one of the boys informed investigators that Norman was in the process of selling him to a client. Norman was then accused of starting up the Del- you know the Delta Project again. Basically, he refounded it, but now he was calling it Creative Core and MC Publications. And after being released from prison and operating it out of his apartment, he ended up getting in trouble again, and that apartment was raided again. So he keeps getting rated wherever he lives, right? That's good. I mean, they needed to keep tabs on this guy. And this time they found over 40,000 pink index cards. And they discovered that these cards contain the names of customers yet again from all over the United States. Back to the index cards.
0: But they were pink
1: this time. So I thought that was...
0: Yeah, well, he's going for a color color coordination with his index cards they probably meant something it was probably strictly for the delta or creative core <laughs> all of it gives me absolute chills a bookkeeping nightmare oh absolutely with all the different index cards can you
1: imagine trying to keep up with all of that how dedicated you would
0: have to be Uh. Uh-uh. oh there's not enough colors in the rainbow to color coordinate all his businesses he's got going on. I'm just really,
1: I want to use the word fascinated, not because I think that he was a great guy. I'm actually disgusted by him, but I'm fascinated at his ability to network the way he
0: did and be so organized. That should scare the hell out of all of us. Right. I mean, there's some serious business entrepreneurs here. If they could just pick up a different type of business and he and you say that and he
1: continued to you know launch businesses because between october 83 and may of 1984 norman began producing and publishing a child pornography magazine and it was called handy andy
0: oh i just can't
1: i know it's horrible and he was producing this from his home and from a, a nearby motel in pennsylvania And while he was there, he just couldn't help himself, and he did what Norman always did, and he exploited people. He was always trying to harm young boys, and he was accused of exploiting at least 20 teenage boys in Pennsylvania by enticing them with drugs and alcohol. And once he would get them drunk or he would give them the drugs, he would photograph them, and then they would engage in various sexual acts. I and mean, it was just classic abuse. It makes me really sad. Absolutely. And as the story goes, Norman's home was raided once again. And this time he fled. He was like, I am getting the heck out of here. So he flees Pennsylvania. He goes back to Illinois and they capture him. That's where they capture him it was in Bolingbroke, Illinois. Good. They put him in jail and then he was released on bail. In March of 1985. And I want to just comment here that the whole story about him getting bailed out could probably be its own podcast. So that might be an episode that we discuss about who always tried to help him out, bail him out, and was making sure that Norman was out being able to conduct his business. Hmm. I bet it was somebody important. I bet it was somebody that also helped make those index cards go away. Mm hmm. Yeah, we'll have to do
0: something about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we should. I think we should dig deep. And, you know, that's what we do here at Deep Dark Secrets. And we expose very dark secrets. And this is one of them. I think everything surrounding Norman's life was a deep, dark secret. So he posts bell. And you know what he does? He flees. He takes off. He's getting good at that, too. <laughs> he does. He's a runner. But he doesn't stay out of trouble because it catches him again. And this time he was convicted of child molestation in Colorado. And that was in 1988. And then he serves time. And then he gets in trouble again for distributing child porn in California in 1995. And then he does it again in 1998. So, I mean, he's just in and out of jail. And when he was eventually released back into society after all of that, he was given strict conditions. You know, this is what the judge said. I'm going to let you live out in the community, but you have
0: to follow the rules. And of course, Norman didn't do that. No, because he's always been so good at that prior that, you know, why not?
1: Well, remember what the judge said about him back in California in the very beginning. He was a violent predator who wasn't remorseful, who was going to continue to hurt people. And that's exactly what he did because he gets released. And then he goes to this grocery store and he immediately violates the terms of his release on February 2nd of 2009. And he violates those terms by passing a note to a 19-year-old grocery bagger. And in this note, it contained his personal contact information and other things, as you can imagine. And because of that incident, he was sent right back into state custody and that's where he died in 2011
0: in state custody. The story, however, does not end there. Actually, it's only just begun. So please be sure to tune in next week as we delve further into the life of John David Norman and his connection to two serial killers. A man named Dean Coral and John Wayne Gacy and the possible connection to Norman's vicious underground trafficking ring. So not only was Norman
1: this mastermind trafficker connecting these men all across the United States and selling young boys and doing all of these things, molesting people, all the things he did, he was also connected to two serial killers? Yeah, I mean, it's a gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it's awful because Dean Coral and John Wayne Gacy, and John Wayne Gacy was the clown killer, they were both pedophiles. They were both into young men. And so I'm a little freaked out because that starts to tie things together between a lot of things that you and I have researched for years and years and years when it comes right. to agencies like NAMBLA, um, trafficking, and sexual exploitation of young boys and young girls all across the United States this Uh wow please do turn tune in guys because I think this is going to be an episode you're not going to want to miss so until then until next week please stay safe and remember keep your lights on for exclusive content from this episode and other episodes Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash secrets. Sign up and you will receive Deep Dark Secrets merchandise, extra episodes, and much more. For more information about our podcast, visit deepdarksecretspodcast.com.